those who do not have the power over the story that dominates their lives, the power to retell it, rethink it, deconstruct it, joke about it, and change it as times change, truly are powerless because they cannot think new thoughts. True power lies with those who can control their own story. You are the story that you tell yourselves. For, for heritage to uh, have value, for heritage to matter, you have to have a community there that celebrates it and connects to it. It's easy to get um, stuck in the detail and in the process and, and forget that at the end of the day, these things, although they're from the past, they're kind of living and they're carried through to the present and then on to the future, hopefully, if we do our jobs right. Our heritage has shaped who we are as a people and a place today. In this series, we celebrate the stories of Auckland, the Pacific, and beyond. I'm Mark Gosper, and this is the Heritage Talks podcast. Kia ora koutou, and thanks for tuning in. In the kōrero you're about to hear, genetic genealogist Michelle Patient provides insight into what a DNA test could potentially add to your family history research. She takes a global view, beginning with what defines heritage, and explains how your personalised DNA test results fit into broader ethnic categories and migration patterns. Patient shares how her own research has proved so border-busting that she has come to describe herself as simply human. She compares the different companies offering DNA testing, and importantly, how the results are interpreted and change depending on which data sets are being used as a reference point. The availability of online material has greatly enhanced the accessibility of historical records for the purposes of family history research. DNA matching can further assist you to pinpoint elusive ancestors and explain apparent aberrations in your genealogy, complementing and in some cases affirming your paper-based research. However, patient emphasises that results are only estimates and will change as more data is added. Haramai titahi ahoa. So this talk's actually a discussion talk. It isn't a talk about how to do it and why to do it, though you might draw some conclusions about it. It's a talk that I kind of put together for a number of reasons last year, because I get a lot of people comment about the ethnicity aspect. And so an ethnicity is about where we come from and who our people are and where they walked the earth. And that's really our heritage. And, and I try to make sure that any talks I give here are a combination of, of whakapapa and family history and stories and heritage, because that's what this community that we're now standing in is all about. But I got a bit irritated by people saying, just ignore those ethnicities, they're meaningless, because they're just estimates. Well, actually, I'd like to talk you through some things about them. But let's have a general comment first. Oh, something else, because we started late. Anyone that needs to leave, I will not be offended if you have to get up and leave at one o'clock. If you do so, please just do so quietly. <laughs> so, what does heritage mean? So I went to a dictionary, you know, because we're researchers, we should go and look things up. And, and the definition generally is actually based on a country basis. 
It's a country's heritage. It's all the qualities, traditions, features of life that have continued over many years and have been passed on from generation to another. And that's the Collins Dictionary reference. And the synonyms are inheritance, legacy and birthright. So our heritage is something handed down to us, either as culturally as individuals or as a nation. So there are many types of heritage. So I wanted to put that up first just to have you think about what that is for you. Because no two people in this room, except maybe identical twins, will have a definition of what heritage means to them. Is the heritage the stories you've been given? Is this heritage the land that you've inherited? Is the heritage that treasured item of jewellery or photograph? So to you, what do you mean by heritage? So I like to just leave you all thinking. So in a personal sense, our personal heritage isn't solely defined by our grandparents' places of origin. Most of us are over a certain age. Most of us have probably been researching for a wee while. Most of us are not the typical people testing their family history. With DNA, that may surprise you. Most people spitting in a tube at Ancestry spit in the tube because they're in their 30s or 40s and only ever use a mobile device and are curious about their roots. And that is the basic question of their heritage, is it not? Most people have no idea that grandmother had a first name, let alone grandma had some other last name that wasn't the same as granddad's. So for most people, when you ask them what their ethnicity is or their roots are, they tend to talk about whatever it was that family talked about. Would you agree? Yeah, so my roots were West Indian. How do you like that? Born in Australia, because you can tell the accent, to a mother born in Australia, to a father who came out from Essex, who still had quite the Essex accent, you know, eh? And he was very, um, yeah. Dad had some expressions that were unique. How are you? Fair to middling. So... And he always went with the majority, which always annoyed me. He'd never make a choice himself. So I had a very strong attachment to my father and the Navy because he was the only one with stories because my mother was adopted. I was brought up, though, by the woman that adopted my, mo my mother and I loved my grandmother as well and she had stories about her family and, and her photographs and they were all Australian. So I was either an Australian or a mixed-up English kid who was really West Indian because Dad's only story of any positive note was to be proud of my West Indian ancestor, that I came from a long line of Navy people, some of who were merchant Navy, and at one point a captain brought back a West Indian slave at the end of the slave trade as his wife, and she came back to England, and that I should be proud of her as a woman of colour surviving in England. And he used to say things like, that's where you get your hair from, when as a small child I hated it because it just did look very fuzzy, not like now. And I was called fuzz by everyone at school. And I was shy. 
Maybe now, maybe I am not shy now, but I was shy then. So you can see that your personal heritage, everybody's is defined differently, but the vast majority will tend to think about their grandparents. When I started interviewing my husband's family, um, there's an older aunt that I get on with really well. She lives in Hamilton. And she always talked about the Irish and how Irish their family were. I haven't found any yet. <laughs> the Cooks and the Carters, the Cooks didn't come from Ireland. They came from Warwickshire. And I don't know how she got that, but guess what? They're all Irish with great senses of humour and she could wax lyrical and her identity is all wrapped up in being Irish. Our ethnicity actually isn't a science. I should say, if you haven't heard me talk before, I have a degree in pure and applied chemistry from Waikato. And then I did technical for qualifications in earth science. So I have a scientific background, but I'm a kind of left-field lunatic, really, because I do family history. <laughs> and I talk about it, and I like to do embroidery. Where does that fit on the scheme of my ethnicities, you know? Um, so ethnicities aren't a fact, they're an estimate. And we're going to talk a little bit about those. Some of you will identify with your gateway ancestors. Those of you who are genealogists may know that those are the first people on a branch of your family who arrived in this land. Some of our gateway ancestors are like me, I arrived in 1978. Others will have gateway ancestors that arrived 1,200 years ago. So we will all have a different range of what we call a gateway ancestor, except for probably the English, who never went anywhere, like Shona. <laughs> Do you have any gateway ancestors in your mind? Me. Yeah, <laughs> see? So it's all relevant, isn't it? Because that's why not many people in England test, because they've never been anywhere. They know where all their family are, because they're here, aren't they, where they live. They're starting to get curious, though, about where their relatives went. So now they're asking questions about that census document. What happened to that fourth child? And they're discovering, guess where we went? Down here or over there. So we either went to Canada, America, down here or South Africa. So it's a case of starting to change your viewpoint from I'm only looking at my grandparents to my gateways to wherever my pre-arrival ancestors lived. So now I'm talking about your heritage based on a timeline. What point in time are you going to decide who you are or what you most relate to? Sometimes we get emotional attachments to some and I'll be a West Indian descendant for a very long time. I can't imagine I'll ever lose that because I've had that story since I remember being told any stories. So all my life I am a West Indian and I'm proud of that. Now I'm actually realising I'm actually African. From South Bantu, just in case you needed to know. And if you all think about it, you are too. So, let's talk about DNA instead of concepts and stories and treasures. So let's talk about the ancestral heritage inside of you. So this is a picture from my, uh, my heritage DNA. It's a map. So those coloured areas, that's the regions on the planet where my heritage says I have ancestors who in the past walked and their time frame is kind of a couple of thousand years ago. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because for me, all my ancestors, except for one, are based in England or Ireland. 
and they would have migrated in at the end of the glacial period into England. Yeah, that makes sense. But what I like is these are the places from my tree where my humans were born. So I like the fact that I'm getting a visual representation of where my paper trail ancestors are. For most of us, our paper trail will stop about 200 years ago. For most of us, it stops around 1800-ish, give or take 100 years. Not too many people will get past 1700, but at least I'm getting a clue where my recent ancestors have given me their attitudes and their culture. So whichever company you test with, and there are five, you get an estimate, not a fact, because it's a combination of the reference set and a timeline that it relates to. So it gives you an idea of the culture you come from and what your heritage is. Some companies do deep ancestral testing and you'll even find the origin of your original Earth Mother or Earth Father. So there's a range of tests you can do and Living DNA is one of them that tests all three aspects of you. The I like to make sure I slip some science in just on the off chance anyone in the room hasn't done any recently. So all of you that I know are in the room that have heard me in the last three days, you can have a wee nap or a refresher. Um, so this is a stylized diagram which I share with you compliments to Louise Coakley, a genealogist who lives in Cairns, and she has a very good blog. Um, there are no notes for this talk, by the way. This is all kind of an off-the-cuff, it's never the same twice experience. Um, so you need to write down Louise Coakley and Google search if you would like to read her blog. And my grateful thanks to Louise who lets me use her images in my talks. So there's three types of main tests currently in DNA. Your mitochondria, and they can measure those and get your ancestral paths. And all of us in the room inherited the mitochondria from our mothers. And they got it from their mother and their mother and their mother and their mother and their mother. And it only changes about every 20, 25,000 years. So you might share identical mitochondria with someone who walked the earth 20 odd thousand years ago. So you have one earth mother way back then or further. In the yolk of the egg, if you think of that as a stylized egg, in the nucleus of the cell is where your 23 pairs of chromosomes live. And you've got a whole chromosome from mum and a whole chromosome from dad. And so they test the first 22 pairs. They're called the autosomes. And that's the common test that you'll get at most companies. And in fact, it is the test that's going to answer most family history conundrums. Insert brick wall question, or do you need it confirmed that you picked the right Jones family? Those autosomes are what you inherit both from mum and dad, and mum and dad got them from their mum and dads, and their mum and dads got it from their mum and dads, and you actually carry DNA from you up to 10 generations back. You're guaranteed to carry it on you back six generations on every line, and 99.5% from your seventh generation back. I can only cope with five, that's bad enough. Um, and there's, you have 128 fifth great grandparents, that's enough humans to think about, all having children who married and had children who, and you're related to all those descendants, various people will have bits of DNA from that 128 fifth great grandparents, are you blown away yet? 
So they test those 22 autosomes. The other test that they do is on the gender pair. And I mean gender in a scientific point of view, not in a cultural point of view. So the fact that you have two Xs defines you as female, the fact that you have one X and one Y defines you as male from a scientific point of view. And so the Y chromosome, all those lovely men in the room, and it's lovely to see more men than usual, all of you have inherited it from whoever provided the sperm all the way along one arm of your chart. And we, that doesn't change as quickly as autosomes do, but it does change quick, quicker than mitochondria. So you might have identical Y chromosome from a man who walked the earth over a thousand years ago who fathered lots of people who had people who had people who had people, and then they brought surnames in. And every person got a different surname because one was a baker and one was the local smithy and the other guy lived on the green hill. So they all got different surnames but actually have a common male ancestor. So it becomes a deeper ancestry tool. You get two types of results. They're called haplogroups for Y chromosomes and mitochondria. You can Google search what that means. It's basically a numbering system of grouping everything that's similar. We like to put apples in baskets and pears in a different basket, and that's kind of what a haplogroup is. The ethnicity estimate is more personal and more recent and are different time frames than your paper trail. So never be surprised if you haven't tested yet and like me, you know all your family were from Essex to discover that you have no English DNA. <laughs> I'll show you my slides in a minute. So the other thing you're going to find is people who share DNA with you. And they may know more about your ancestors than you, and so therefore that can benefit your understanding of your heritage. So there's a couple of reasons to do a DNA test. Everybody has different reasons, and there are people out there who don't know anything about their ancestors because they're foundlings or fostered or adopted. And the beauty of DNA is for that community, they're able to dribble in a tube and get some answers. So there's lots of reasons why you want to know more about your heritage. Those of people who did a Y chromosome test, the scientists have worked together and eventually developed a migration path of men around the planet over time. So you'll see down here, age in years is how long ago an area was settled. So you can see between 200 and... So you follow the pink, and there was movement within Africa before the main exits through here. And then we settled for a long time around the Tigris-Euphrates. Now, most of you with European ancestors or British Isles ancestors, you're all going to have the haplogroup RM269, because basically, um, when this diagram was done, this is a free diagram from uh, Wikipedia, um, they were defined as R1A and R1B. Now they're all RM269. So most blokes are some part of RM269. But you'll also notice that our landmass is the last significant landmass to be settled, along with parts of Madagascar. And that becomes quite important. But occasionally, for your family history, you might be fortunate enough to see one of your male descendants isn't RM269, but is actually JM172, which is indicative of Jewish descent. So if you have pieces of paper where you're never sure what to believe, my 1813-born Jewish man said he was a Jewish once 
on a paper, piece of paper in 1830, and then he married as an Anglican. He married a Roman Catholic. Some of the people are christened as Anglican. The next lot are christened Catholic, and he's buried in the Baptist cemetery. <laughs> so at what point in time do I find what his culture is? So it was really nice when a Jones descendant tested and came up as a RM, you know, not RM. So I know that the original Mr Jones, whoever he was, who fathered William, was, had Jewish ancestors and was of Jewish culture, maybe, but definitely Jewish ethnicity. I do quite like mothers. None of us would be alive if our mitochondria didn't work. Mitochondria are the energy source of our bodies. So you could say the whole world's actually ruled by women. But we don't want to tell too many people that they could get upset. But the interesting thing here, here's the ancient migration pattern of humans around the planet based on archaeology of finding mitochondria. I'm sure some of you will have heard of Richard the second, third, I never remember the right numbers anymore. Thank you, third. And he, his part of the evidence of identifying his remains was the mitochondria. They found his sister's descendants on only the mother line, and one was male, one was female, and, and their mitochondria matched him. And that added to the pool of evidence. It wasn't one fact, it was many things. So there is value in certain types of ethnicity results as part of your genealogy research. But scientists like to do quirky things. So it's always labelled, right? And, and you often might have heard of the 12 daughters of Eve. So they're trying to find who the original woman was. And they called her Elle. L for Lucy. How many of you remember the first female humanoid found? So that's why she's L for Lucy. Um, I've had mine tested for scientific curiosity. I'm U for Ursula. So they've kind of named them after significant regions and common women's names in those places when they were doing the original research. Again, these images are from more than 10 years ago, but it's just something interesting to show you. Again, funnily enough, the women, the mitochondria came with the Y chromosomes, the last places to be settled, us and, and Madagascar over here. And um, so, yeah, there's my wonderful U, which basically means my... My earliest paper-known person is called Bridget Russell, and she's living in Cumbria. I suspect she's Irish, but I have no idea, and I can't find anything more about Bridget Russell, except I know she married William Bell. And I know through my DNA matches that they had a son who went to America, because I'm now matching people in America who are descended from William Bell, the daughter, you know, the son of the same couple. My, their daughter Mary came to Australia in 1839, so it's kind of nice to get these cross connections of different waves of migration. So if you haven't tested yet, this is one of the benefits of testing. Um, for those of you who tested, would you agree, finding people in America with treasures you'd never heard of and stories you haven't heard of and photographs you've never seen is a big benefit of testing, yes? But from a cultural point of view, I'd just like to bring something Kiwi into it. So there was a National Geographic project done in 2014 where a selection of Pākehā and Māori people were tested for their mitochondria. And what I find fascinating about this is that the early Pacific colonisation had one major haplogroup, so the people that came in from Hawaii, 
and on the east, they had three. And the Tiaroha people tell the story of migration through two parts, that they left the original Tigris Euphrates, they were people of the 12 tribes, is how they describe themselves in this story, and that one went west and one went east. And the ones that went east came and settled in India and then Sri Lanka before they came across into the top of Indonesia, into the Philippines, down to the Solomons, and then on into a, to New Zealand. But the people that went west settled on the east coast of America and didn't like it, so they didn't stay, and they went right across the country and spent extended period in Vancouver before coming down to Hawaii and then on into, into New Zealand. And I think it's fascinating that an oral history story that's over 12,000 years old, that's actually remembering the original exit out of the Tigris-Euphrates region, which the DNA has already also proven, is confirmed by the two parts of early colonisation, pre-European migration into this country. I love it when science and oral culture match. So I hope all of you in the room who are not Māori can actually see some appreciation in the oral history that often I've heard people poo-poo. Here, Michelle refers to three main companies offering DNA test interpretations. They are Ancestry DNA, My Heritage, and Family Tree DNA. Okay. So, welcome to me. This is the three um, main companies that you will ever think about testing with. Um, my disclaimer is, occasionally I'm paid to speak on behalf of Ancestry. I've been given a DNA kit by them once. I've paid for many more. Um, I've also been um, paid with a subscription to one other company that's not on the website and spoken on behalf of Living DNA as well. And I've been given a kit once from Living DNA so I could speak from experience and I have paid for more tests. Um, if you haven't already, I recommend everybody tests at Ancestry because it's the largest pool of data and you can't upload your, your information there after you've tested somewhere else, but you can take your data from there and upload to the other two sites. So for the cost of one test, you can get the benefit of three websites. But I'd like to draw your attention that over here, um, over here, get the right button. I'm 75% from England, Wales, and Northwestern Europe. Over here, I'm only 25. And over here, I'm 55. So this is another thing of reminding you it is an estimate and it is developing and improving as they understand more about how to define a region. Because let's go back to social things. How do you find where you come from? when Germany only got first settled in the 1870s as a name. Are you German or are you Prussian or you're Saxon or you, you get where I'm coming from? And how many of you know when it wasn't England and it was Mercia? So if you keep going, what label are you going to use? And I really, after doing DNA for a while and thinking about it a lot and speaking too much, I just call myself human. I have moved out of identity beyond being very fond of my Anne from West Indies. Everyone else are just... In it's interesting I've picked the two odd. I'm interested in William Jones, the Jew, and I'm interested in Anne, the West Indian. And the rest of them really are just fascinatingly ordinary. But it all make me human. So I think that's the important message I want you all to go home with, is looking at a wider view than you may have in the past. Michelle explains how Ancestry's ethnicity feature works. But I could go in and see that 
there are this many people who've tested with Essex in their tree. Um, so you, and you can click, click through and see all those people. Which is useful if you can't work out a branch or you've got an illegitimacy back three generations and you have some ethnic region that you'd never heard of in your paper trail before and all these other people too. Or you working on the Jones Smith Williams Brown Green surnames and you're not going to buy all the Elizabeth Greens marriages in that village, right? Because you're just not spending that much money. But you suddenly find there's a pattern in your DNA matches of lots of people with the surname Gillard. And you know that a Gillard married a Green. So now you're pretty sure which one of the Green girls is yours because you've got all this other matching DNA. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We now actually have enough New Zealanders have tested to be able to identify the European migration anyway. I haven't seen, I must look up the Polynesian data sets, but literally this has changed as I have travelled. So I will be going and doing that. And my mother-in-law's been roped in, by the way, and um, she's got an extra group of New Zealand Cook Strait British settlers. Now, her ancestry came in in 1841 on the Amelia Thompson into, the, into New Plymouth, and not one single person went down to Wellington. So I suspect their definition of what Cook Strait means is, <laughs> is actually a definition based on the culture of how we arranged the migration in the 1840s. Yes, I know. No, no, Nelson's separate. There's a Nelson Marlborough group as well. Yeah, so there's, there's early groups. There's Nelson Marlborough, there's Cook Strait, but the Taranaki don't seem to have a group. Now, I'm not sure whether that's because there's not, not enough people with the Nakis to clearly stand out as unique, or is it because the migration agents, when they went around, went to the same counties and actually all the people in the Cook Strait who came out looked just like, in terms of DNA, they came from the same heritage as all the people who came into the Naki. And because they're mostly Devon and Cornwall, I think that's probably the, the, the actual answer, but we don't know yet. So I went to the Facebook group for Taranaki DNA and asked everybody else, what does yours look like? And so I'm waiting to see what they all say. Most of you in the room won't have tested this company. It's the second largest company after Ancestry. It's called 23andMe. Their focus is mostly health. So even though they have a very large database, the people that opt in to family matching, which is what most family historians want to know about, is quite a small amount. So you're not necessarily going to find lots of relatives there, but you only need one to have had the family Bible to make it worthwhile. Um, so when you can afford it, it is worth testing at 23andMe. Um, 23andMe and Ancestry have been rated with the highest levels of privacy and security protection of all the companies, if those are issues for you. And I've been really fortunate, they, they have a really nice feature of their timeline of where their reference info suggests my people were born. And when I, they do something called phasing. You know how you have those 22 pairs of chromosomes? They look at the chemistry of the ones that are on your mother's side and they know that all the other ones will have been your dad. They phased it. My father died in 1992. I haven't tested him. But I have half of him and they've given me a table. This is my dad's DNA and this is my mum's DNA. And you know how I assumed my Iberian Peninsula was Jewishness from my mother? Welcome to my Spanish-Portuguese dad. 
So there's that rule, don't make assumptions. And if you can test other members of your family, it can be quite an interesting aspect to change how you feel about things. But I, they even have a chromosome browser. And the fun part of that is welcome to the bits I got from Anne, those little pink bits there, just in case, you know, cause just because I like to talk about it, really. I have no pictures. I probably never will. She died in the 1850s and they had no money and she was blind. And I can tell you all that, and that's about it. But you get some interesting ways you can look at which bits of you sit where on your chromosome regarding your ethnic background. And no other site does that except here, unless you put your data up at GEDmatch and use some of their special ethnic, they use the word admixture tools. So this is the usual, you know, Read the whole screen, scroll down and find the help. Remember with your ethnicities to know the definitions the company used. And they even have white papers about how they defined everything that you're reading on the screen. So it's worth reading those if you have a particular interest in understanding your ethnicities more. Michelle explains the process of recombination and how the ethnic mix of siblings will differ depending on how a particular marker is distributed amongst a person's DNA. But we need to talk about siblings, so just for a moment, bear with me. There's three children at the bottom whose grandparents look like that. If the marker to say you're Irish is if you're red at the top of chromosome one, how many children will show as Irish? <coughs> Only two, because they're red, they're not, they are. So that's the other thing to bear in mind is that siblings differ. And it's because of this process called recombination. So if this is the marker for you and it goes down here and here and here and here, you've got the marker that shows that ethnic group. If the same marker went to the son, the daughter over here, who handed to her daughter, who handed to her daughter, but when she gave 50% to her child, that 50% didn't get passed down, they are still descended from this heritage, but they just don't have the DNA marker to match it. And that's an important distinction. Just because you don't share DNA with people who are distantly related to you on paper doesn't mean you're not descended from them. You just didn't get those particular bits from them. So you see how you can get some puzzles that are never ending, but just bear in mind that your siblings can have value and not be, like, their top is Irish. He's only 40% British, whereas this guy is 52% British. Do you see how it's an estimate and the value of your siblings? So I hope you two all feel like citizens of the world after today. And um, the thing that to me is important is it's more than just marketing fun. These companies are, I mean, other countries get a lot more advertising than us. We only get Ancestry because they've got the money to put into us because there is significant um, population base in Australia and New Zealand. So we benefit of the fact that we're close to the Australians and that they have a very strong interest in family history as well, or we would get no advertising at all. So my heritage and 23andMe, the next largest companies, spend no money here, technically, on ads. But all of them, I can assure you, all the ads are based on ethnicity because that is the hook where people start their curiosity about who gave them the roots. They're just asking what their roots were and there's a lot of people out there taking the next step and starting to research. Mm -hmm.
If this is your first time listening, then thanks for tuning in. The Heritage Talks podcast is produced regularly for your education and enjoyment. Talk notes are found on the Talks page at soundcloud.com. Come back whenever you like and feel free to add the podcast to your favourite RSS feed or iTunes. All links are in the talk notes. No!